Howdy! Welcome to CCC Hardcore, where you will hear stories of the California Conservation Corps, because we believe that every Corps member has a story worth telling. It's been a while since I've uh, done any updates to this podcast. Um, had my stuff coming up. Uh, haven't been able to get out uh, to chase as many stories as I would like. Um, but it's a new season coming up. Uh, we've got a, a few things that I've been working on. Uh, just got back from the 2018 Backcountry Trail Crew debriefing in Camp Mather. If you recall, last year I recorded interviews with a bunch of core members, about 30 total core members, and uh, made a podcast out of those. And I'll be doing that again this year. I was able to record some interviews. Um, and I also got some interviews this year with some sponsors and staff, former core members who went through the program, uh, so we can see what happens to core members. Um, after they uh, successfully graduated backcountry trails season. We also heard from a core member that we interviewed last year, Courtney Parks. And so uh, um, she was working uh, trails again uh, with Yosemite, and we'll hear a little bit from her about her experiences since she finished last season. Got a couple of other stories that I'm working on. I've um, been working on one entirely too long. <laughs> Uh, story on the Tehama Fire Center outside of Red Bluff, California. Uh, it was, uh, if not one of the original CCC centers, it was a very early CCC center uh, from the 1970s into the early 1980s. And it was a fire center. Their designated work was to go out on fires. They worked really closely with CDF. And I've been working on a story about Tehama Fire Center for, I hate to admit it, but a couple of years now. Ooh. <laughs> um, I interviewed three core member, three former core members who were at Tehama Fire Center: um, Karen Brown Wilson, Penelope Johnstone, and John Leonard. And I got some great information on Tehama Fire Center from them. But every time I put a story together, it seems like I learn a little bit more about Tehama Fire Center. And uh, I found out that it, it's really hard to tell the story of Tehama Fire Center without telling an overall story of the early days of the CCC as well. So I, um, every time I've been wanting to record that story, to write up that story, more information comes to light. Um, but I just have to sit down, write it, get it done. Um, they were also gracious enough to give me some photographs. Um, it, it'll be a written story. It won't be a podcast. Um, there'll be some photographs in it, and I'll, I'll write up about the Tamil Fire Center and the early story of the CCC. Another story that I've been working on, um, a, a, a trails project that's around Lake Medora in Plum, at Plumas Eureka State Park near Gray Eagle, California. And one of the first stories I wrote for the blog was a, about a crew from the uh, Shasta, Shasta District out of Redding uh, working on this lake around, working on the trail around Lake Medora. They were, it was the first year of what was going to be a three-year project of building a, an ADA trail around the lake. Now, ADA stands for Americans with Disabilities Act. And so they were building a trail around this lake in a state park that was going to be accessible to people with disabilities, like in wheelchairs. Um, I caught up with them earlier this summer, uh, before the fires broke out, and I uh, talked with a few of the core members and got some pictures. And so I've got a story that's going to be coming out about this big project around Lake Medora. And those will be coming up. I, I hate to promise a date. 
<laughs> I've been telling uh, Karen and Penelope and John that this that the uh, Tehama Fire Center story is going to be coming out any anytime now. And I just haven't got to it, but those are stories that I'm working on that will be coming soon. I, I don't have a date, but they will be coming soon. The views discussed on this podcast represent those of the host and the guests and do not necessarily represent the views of the California Conservation Corps. I also wanted to use today's podcast to give a big shout out to a man that was very influential in so many of us quorumers who went through Del Norte Center in uh, the late 70s, early 80s, and into the 90s. Um, the core member development coordinator at Del Norte uh, was a guy named Bob Cox, Dr. Robert Cox. Uh, he was an interesting guy. He had an interesting background. Um, he was a high school dropout, was homeless for a while, lived on the streets in Portland, Oregon, um, joined the Marine Corps, got his GED while he was in the Marine Corps, went to college after he got out of the Marines, uh, finally got a PhD um, in, in, uh, in English literature, I believe, maybe American literature, uh, found himself uh, teaching a course on William Faulkner at a London University in, yes, London, England. Uh, he came back to the United States, found himself involved in youth development programs down around Los Angeles. And it wasn't long before he found himself uh, with the California Conservation Corps. Uh, started out in Los Angeles, uh, wound up, up at Del Norte Center in Klamath. Bob is a very outside-the-box thinker. Um, he is a master of the possible. If you can think it, if you can come up with an idea that looks like it might work better than what's going, than what's being done right now, uh, he encourages us to, to go for it and give it a try. Uh, figure out what you need to make it happen, to make it real, and do it. And when he was the, the, the CDC at uh, Del Norte Center, uh, he worked uh, with partnerships with the local colleges quite a bit, uh, commute, uh, College of the Redwoods. And so he got us at Del Norte college credits for doing things in the CCC, stuff um, along with our job. Um, I got college credits for some of the salmon habitat restoration work I did. It was an actual class through College of the Redwoods called Aquaculture 42A. Um, it had a, there was a Lecture component to the program, the instructor would come out to the streams where we were working with an easel and a, and a flipboard and markers. And he would lecture us about ecosystems, about basic fish physiology, about um, the stuff that the fish ate. Um, and it was a fascinating course. It was a three-unit course. In addition to the lecture, there was a work component. You had to do um, basically, I don't know how many hours in the field, 1,500 hours maybe in the field. But when you finish that class, you got college credit for it. Bob was that kind of an outside-the-box thinker. And uh, Bob Cox is one of the reasons why I left Del Norte Center with 38 units of college uh, before I even stepped foot onto a college. Bob's outside-the-box thinking um, resulted in the establishment of the John Muir Charter School. One of the problems with core members getting involved in education and school programs uh, is our varied schedule. Uh, in, in the course of the regular work year, quarters are going to go out on spikes. And, uh, if you recall from an earlier show, a spike is a work project that's too far away to commute to every day. So you go drive a couple hours away from the center, at least 
uh, and you're going to camp out at the work site for a week or 10 days or two weeks. Um, and corners are also available to respond to emergencies. So if there's fires or floods, they have to go. And you can imagine what this does to a regular semester schedule. Um, you, you can't be committed to a schedule and still run off on spikes and fires. And so scheduling a lot of education was kind of hard. And that was one of the things that led to John Muir or to uh, Bob Cox partnering with some educators to develop the John Muir Charter School, which could accommodate the more flexible schedule required for a CCC crew. The John Muir Charter School started small at Del Norte, and it is now the primary education component of the California Conservation Corps. Um, it's had over 3,000 graduates um, every year. Uh, they have a graduation ceremony, I think, in June in Sacramento, so that core members who don't have a high school diploma um, can get something maybe a little bit better than a GED. Um, they actually get a high school diploma. Um, and it's a really cool thing. Bob also, he was kind of the disciplinarian at Del Norte Center. Um, and he had kind of an unorthodox approach to discipline at Del Norte. Uh, he had his own way of doing things. But it's not like he was a maverick. All of us at Del Norte, all of the staff at Del Norte had their own ideas about what discipline was supposed to do. Now, a while ago, Bob sent me... Um, a, a piece that he wrote on how they established the, the disciplinary program and, and how they did things at Del Norte. And I wanted to read a little bit from that. I've edited it a little bit for brevity. Um, but there was an incident one night. Uh, some corners had decided to go down. Uh, well, I'll just start reading it and, and, and let you see. Uh, so Bob starts, he says, and he's speaking in the first person here. Let me recap what I was saying about the beach fire, which was accidentally set by a group of corners who had gathered near the mouth of the Klamath River to camp and have a few beers in a safe place. I mean, what was the likelihood of being rudely awakened by members of the Klamath Volunteer Fire Department, a convict fire crew from our old center across the river, led by a CDF fire captain, the Del Norte County Sheriff's Department, and a number of concerned citizens who looked out their windows to discover the whole world ablaze? Fortunately, the fire didn't jump the road. Remember, fires love wind and steep hills. It works like a chimney. Pretty serious business. Had it crossed the road, it might well have burned a number of homes to the ground, including the homes of our center director, Patrick Couch, and the current director of the CCC, uh, Dave, or David Meraki, who was then responsible for managing the day-to-day -day operations of the Del Norte Center and the Backcountry Trails Program. One can only imagine the shock and awe felt by these youngsters. In the end, statements were taken from the innocent offenders, and then they were rounded up and marched up the hill to the center, where they were restricted to base pending an investigation and subsequent disciplinary action. Because of my responsibilities, including handling incidents like this one, I received a phone call at about 5 a.m. on what was to be a long Sunday. But no, I didn't, didn't get in my car and drive 50 miles and fire the lot of them, which would have been the preferred action of some members of staff, members of the local community, and even a number of CCC members. My God, they brought discredit and shame to the CCC. Off with their heads! What I did do is sat down with the Corps Member Disciplinary Handbook, which had been produced by Corps members and staff under the leadership of Patrick and David. 
I found the document to be thoughtful. It covers everything from being late to work to insubordination. It lays out recommended consequences for first, second, and third offenses. Like for example, first offense for failing a room inspection. Documentation, uh, no more than a rating of three on the monthly performance evaluation under room and center maintenance, and the problem to be remedied by 6 p.m. that day. For a second offense, performance contract specifying no further offenses in 30 days, no rating higher than two on monthly evaluation under room and center maintenance, and under cooperation with peers and staff. For a third offense, two-week suspension without pay or termination, with a possible second chance after 30 days. Fourth offense would be termination, no exceptions, and second chance not recommended. Uh, what about threats of violence? Uh, the first offense would result in termination. Um, so it was really very good. Transparent, clear, Progressive, for the most part, somewhat democratic because the core member advisory board and the community were included in the process. A method for changing the process was even laid out. Very good. Consistency and clear expectations were spelled out. But unbelievably, there was no mention of setting fires on public beaches and endangering the lives of sleeping citizens. Remarkable omission. In the years to follow, I would use the manual to help quormers gain a useful perspective, usually for the purpose of manipul manipulating them. I would say something like, you know, the disciplinary code calls for termination, and I think that would be fair. But your supervisor somehow seems to see something in you, and she wants to continue working with you. She says you're a strong worker, and the crew is going to need you for a long list of killer fisheries projects this summer. But I need something from you. If I just suspend you for a week and you get into another jam, my ass will be on the line, my credibility will be damaged, and the two of us will hurt the chances of the next guy trying to get a break. You've got to look in my eyes and tell me you will seriously work with our counselor, Jim McQuillan, and me on your alcohol and anger issues. You're going to sign a privacy waiver so Jim can talk to me, so we can work with you on getting beyond this nonsense. Savvy me? But in, re but in turn... I promise you I won't discuss anything you say to me with anyone else except you and Jim unless the commission of a crime is involved or the health and safety of others are at issue. If you want to share what we're working on with your supervisor, it's up to you. I hope you will, but it's your call. Does that sound familiar to anyone hanging out around the new center in cyberspace? Ned, Mike, Todd, Patty? How about you, Paul S. and Terrence? You know, sometimes I actually hauled out the Bible I kept in my desk for such private, oath-taking pledges. You would be amazed at just how well all of this worked. I know I sounded like a used car salesman. I'm going to have to take this offer to the boss and get him to sign off. But if he agrees to this outrageous office offer, you had better make payments, dude. If you don't, I'll send Bruno and he'll break both your arms and one of your legs. You'll die trying to get to the bus station and the hound doesn't wait. Now, you don't work with California Youth Authority parolees some of the slickest manipulators ever without learning a thing or two. Never make any enemies of anyone if you can help it, especially if you know where you if they know where you live. But all that would develop over time as we discovered how to collect and access our best thinking. You have to keep in mind that the CCC, even though it had roots in the old Civilian Conservation Corps, which looked like a lot like the Army, was a brand new enterprise. As David Meraki put it to me as we stood in front of his house overlooking the river, talking about how to make it better, as we often did, the CCC had barely reached its pea soup stage of evolution. Anyway, back on that faith, fateful day, I decided it was time to just go for it, to test all of the hopeful rhetoric about youth development I was hearing but not seeing enough of. To my mind, the incident brought us to a crossroad. Either we would begin to move forward 
or as far as I was concerned, the CCC might as well choke to death on its own potential while still in the cradle. Of course, the center had brought a lot of past practices across the river. One of them was that so long as you didn't drink on center or come home and cause problems, and if you could hold your mud and show up for work, what you did on your own time was nobody else's business. So when you boiled it down, it was more than anything else, starting the driftwood fire was just a most unfortunate accident. I was a big fan of working suspensions because core members who were suspended and elected to stay in the neighborhood were going to be living rough and hungry. I like giving core members an option, a one-week working suspension or a two-week non-working suspension, which required the purchase of a round-trip bus ticket, which we would take care of until we deducted it from their pay. It seemed kind of fair. It was a better deal than I got in the Marine Corps, not that I'm complaining. In fact, in the end, the working suspension was ruled to be illegal by the department's attorney. But for years, it worked just fine. The working suspension kept suspended coroners in the game. Moreover, many of the coroners didn't have anywhere to go back to. And if they did, there was a fair chance they would drift away. Under the working suspension, you still had a place to stay and some food. You could keep going to classes, sure, working for free hurt, but in the end, you were a, a lot less out of pocket if you took the working suspension and the crew and the crew supervisor would respect the fact that you didn't let them down. So, even before I talked to the shame-faced offenders waiting for me, I took my decision to my boss, Dave Meraki. Coroners would have the options outlined above, plus they would be placed on a performance contract specifying that another alcohol-related incident would result in immediate termination. Plus, I think they had to go down and clean up the mess at the beach. I outlined for him my thinking about the center's evolution and what kind of message we would be sending to our coroners. I explained how I thought my plan was much more consistent with our youth development values. We wouldn't just be rolling them up and sending them back to prison, as it were, which is what they do in correction conservation camps and what the CCC was doing everywhere. Except, of course, our coroners were not being sent back to prison. They were sent home or sent to some place called homeless. Meraki didn't bat an eye. Sounds good to me, he said, and went back to whatever it was he had been doing before I interrupted him. It was pretty hard to rattle Dave Meraki. One of the questions he often had about people was, can he take a knockout punch? Will she get up or just stay down? Everybody, in David's experience, sooner or later, was going to get knocked on his ass. That's just the way life was. But then Meraki had great examples of courage and perseverance in his own life. His mother and father had been disappeared, rounded up, and interred in a camp near Tule Lake during our war with the country of their origin. So the coroners were given their options and served their discipline. Um, and that's where Bob's story ends. Um, and I'll continue on with my aspect of it. One of those coroners involved in that fire was a friend of mine, uh, Mike Cochran. And this is how he acknowledged the discipline that was handed out um, this is the way he acknowledged it recently on Facebook. Uh, Mike said, Bob is, a very, is important to many of us as well and made an impact on many lives during very crucial times in those lives and made a lasting impact on me and many others. If he ever told you the story about the fire at the mouth of the Klamath River, I was there. That could have been the end of my CCC run and who knows where I would have ended up if it were not for the CCC. I went on to become a crew leader and learned much from my time at Dillnord. I might have even grown up a bit. Thank you for all you did for us, Bob. And that's exactly how so many of us cormers feel about uh, Bob Cox. Um, he's a friend. 
He's a mentor. Um, he set an example for us um, to reach for the stars, to try to do your best and, uh, and push the limits and see what you can actually accomplish. In fact, this podcast probably wouldn't even exist if it weren't for Bob Cox. Um, you know, I saw that there was a need for these stories to be collected and told, and I didn't see anybody that was doing it. <clears throat> um, and so you know, the way we did things at Del Norte, the way you do things in the backcountry, is if you see a job that needs to be done and nobody else is doing it, well, guess what? It's your job. You pick it up and you do it. Um, so this podcast only exists because of Bob Cox's influence and, and my backcountry um, influence on getting the job done. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you, Bob. Uh, some of us have found out recently, um, well, we've known for a few years that Bob had been battling cancer. Um, and we've heard lately that he took a turn for the worse. Um, and we're all pulling for him. Um, and we just wanted to, I just wanted to acknowledge Bob right here. Um, uh, hopefully he'll be able to hear this and know how much that we love him and that we appreciate him and, uh, and that we care for him. And uh, the stuff that he instilled in us was not lost on us, but it's getting passed on to the next generations. So, um, Bob, we love you and uh, we're here for you. Um, and we couldn't have done it without you. thing that I wanted to touch on in today's podcast is to let everybody know that this isn't supposed to be, this isn't intended to be a one-man show here. Right now, um, I'm I'm pretty much doing it all myself, collecting the stories, writing the stories, but that's not the way it, um, I really want this to work. In order for this to work, it's going to have to work like we did things at Del Norte, like we did things in the backcountry, like they do things in the CCC. It's going to have to be a team effort and a team approach. Um, I've taken the lead and I've got some things started, but in order for it to be a success, I'm going to need the help of every former core member uh, that wants to work alongside of me and get this thing done. Uh, my, my goal is to collect stories of, of former core members, all kinds of stories, any stories that you got. Um, so I'm inviting every former core member who hears this or who reads the, the, uh, the blog um, to think about the stories that you want to tell. Um, collect those stories up, send them in to me, and we can get them out there for everybody to hear and understand. You know, um, this project really uh, hit home to me um, a couple of really important people to me through the seas um, died uh, over the years. Uh, Peter Lewis, former backcountry trail uh, program director, Aaron Anders, uh, who was my NPS foreman on my backcountry trail crew in Yosemite. Um, and when they died, I realized that their stories, if they're not written down, they're going to be lost. People are going to forget and not remember Peter Lewis or Aaron Anders. Um, right now, the, the only people who remember them are only people who worked with them. Um, and as time goes on and as we pass on, those stories are going to get lost. We need to save those stories, uh, for future generations to, to, to know what we experienced, what we went through, what these important people in our lives were all about. 
So I've been talking with Adam Summers, who is the director of the CCC Foundation, and he agreed to uh, that these stories are important, that they should be kept. And in addition to my podcast, they're going to be archived with the CCC Foundation somehow. We don't have that quite figured out yet, but the stories are going to be preserved someplace where they, were going to, they will serve a useful purpose in the future down the road. Um, because if I just do these podcasts... <clears throat> Um, when my time has come up and I'm gone, uh, they'll die with me too. Uh, so we need to collect these stories. It's really important um, that the story of the CCC be told. And that story is told through the stories of its core members. There are several different ways that you can get your story to me. You can write it down yourself. Um, any word processor will do. You can email it to me uh, at grinningdwarf at gmail.com. Now, grinning dwarf is just like it sounds. It's like a smiling short guy. Grinningdwarf at gmail.com. If you if you have a hard time with computers, um, if you can just send me an email and say that you've got a story that you want to tell, um, I can call you back and talk to you about it, and I can help you write your story. Um If you want to call me directly, um, give me a shot. Give me a shout out at 530-410-4683. And we can talk about how to get your story here um, in the best way that we can. Um, Now, I got to tell you that I'm out in the country. I'm not in a city. Um, Cell phone contact is pretty spotty. So if you call that cell phone, you are probably going to get a voicemail. Um, Definitely leave a message and I will get back to you. Um, you could record your own story. Uh, if you've got some way to record sound on your phone um, or on your laptop, you can just speak your own story and send it on in. Um, I will help you edit it and uh, get it um, all the rough parts worked out like I do with all of my stories. <laughs> um, and we can get it out there. If you've got pictures, send pictures, uh, photographs, uh, that's all really important. If you've got any video of your time in the seas. Now, basically, there's a couple of different stories that I'd be looking for. Basically, there's a core member profile. And this is the same way I phrase the questions when I'm doing my backcountry interviews, is to get an overall picture of what your time in the seas was like. What did you do before the seas? How did you find out about the seas? What did you do when you were in? And what have you been doing since you left? Pretty simple. If you hit those what five points, you've got a pretty good story. But I'm also interested in more specific stories that would take a little bit more time to tell, um, like the time that you were out on Spike on Orleans Mountain and you got snowed in for four days before the four-wheel drives could get in to get you out. What was it like to go up there and experience setting up your camp in the middle of the rain, having the rain turn to snow, and then being stuck for four days? We could talk a little bit about that. If that sounds like a specific example, that's because that exact thing happened to me. And uh, I'm working on my own stories, too. Um, And I would love to help everybody be able to share their stories of the CCC. Um, Pass it around. If you know people that have stories, um, we want to collect them. We want to tell people's stories. Um, So with that, uh, that's it for this installment of uh, CCC Hardcore Podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time.
Music for this podcast is a tune called Boogie Number no. One by the Tall Pines. Oh,